I didn't know that um, that they all intended to go out and uh, seize this American ship, and uh, I and I made the opportunity at my first chance to get off lifeboat and swim away and abandon uh, uh, these uh, evil pirates to their own means and to the incredible sharpshooting uh, prowess of the Navy SEALs. That would be my initial defense of this guy. This is Lawyer to Lawyer, the award-winning legal podcast with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. West Coast meets East Coast, and yes, they are attorneys, bringing you the latest legal news and observations every week with the leading experts in the legal profession. Lawyer to Lawyer is sponsored by Law.com, produced right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. We're glad you could listen today. This is Bob Ambrogi coming to you from Massachusetts, where I've just returned from a trip to Italy. I'm Craig Williams from sunny Southern California. I write a legal blog called May It Please the Court and have a book out called How to Get Sued. And today's show is sponsored by Clio, Landy Insurance, and Top Class Actions. Well, uh, everybody around the world uh, was captivated recently uh, as they watched Richard Phillips, captain of the Maersk, Alabama cargo ship, held hostage by four Somali pirates. After a long standoff on the Indian Ocean, Navy SEALs ended the nightmare, uh, resulting in the death of three of the pirates and the capture of one of them. And well, mateys, an 18-year-old Somali pirate was captured and arrived in New York this week to face the first piracy charges in the United States in more than a century. Well, today on Lawyer to Lawyer, we're going to explore the legal issues on the high seas surrounding the Somali pirates. We'll also hone in a little bit on the future of this particular captured pirate and uh, look at whether this case could possibly become a deterrent to other incidents of piracy. Uh, Our first guest to help us do that today is a top piracy law expert, Samuel P. Menefee. Uh, Sam is an adjunct professor at World Maritime University in Malmo, Sweden, and Maury Fellow at University of Virginia's Center for Ocean Law and Policy. He's dealt with piracy and maritime violence for more than a quarter of a century and is the author of two books and some 40 articles on the subject Closely involved with questions of oceans law and maritime violence, Menefee has served as chair of committees of the Maritime Law Association of the United States and the Marine Technology Society, and as rapporteur for a working group of the Comité Maritime International. Welcome to the show, Sam Menefee. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Our next guest is my colleague, Attorney Joe McFall from the law firm of Sedgwick, Dieter, Moran, and Arnold, where he focuses on admiralty law and complex business. Attorney McFall is a graduate of the United States Coast Guard Academy and a retired commander in the United States Coast Guard. He's appeared before federal and state licensing and disciplinary boards on behalf of merchant marine seamen. And he's also represented several yacht brokers. He writes the legal blog, Law, Evolution, Science, and Junk Science at brightline.tightpad.com. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer, Joe McFall. Thanks. It's good to be here. Well, let's start with Sam, and let me ask you to give us an overview of the main legal issues in the case. 
and perhaps some identification as to the jurisdictional issues involved in the case? Well, I would, uh, I'm, go- I'm going to concentrate on it, of course, from a piracy aspect. Uh, the uh, gentleman, Mr. Muse, I believe, has uh, been charged with other crimes. But uh, one of the problems is that the uh, attack did occur outside United States waters. In fact, it's, it's in international waters, um, as I understand it. Uh, it's against an American flag vessel and uh, an American crew, which is unusual enough with... Uh, with the number of ships that we have in the American flag being uh, down. But uh, I think that it's it's absolutely spot on. Um, I'm not sure whether he uh, has been charged with uh, piracy under the United States uh, code on that or whether he's been charged with violence against maritime navigation. Uh, I have not actually seen the, um, the papers um, on that. But... Uh, both are in the United States Code. Uh, I think uh, a case could certainly be made on the piracy uh, on the piracy side of it because uh, piracy uh, does not have to be uh, within national waters. It does not have to be against your ship. Any uh, any ship can um, be pirated outside national waters, and we can take jurisdiction over that uh, according to our code. Uh, we're also operating under the, uh, the 58 and the 82. Uh, conventions. We are parties to the 58 uh, Convention on the Law of the Sea. Uh, We are not uh, party to the 82 Convention, but uh, we have agreed to operate in a manner not inconsistent with the Convention. And in fact, the the piracy language of both conventions is almost identical. The only difference is uh, the jurisdictional question, because uh, the 82 Convention um, allowed countries to expand their jurisdiction. But since in any case, this is outside national jurisdiction. Um, we would be able to take cognizance of it. Joe, why would this pirate be tried in New York uh, as opposed to another port or uh, another uh, jurisdiction? And I, I understand you have some particular experience with that. One of the things that uh, happens is, as uh, as we see, the uh, this crime was committed uh, uh, outside the it was on the high seas. The United States criminal jurisdiction vests when they take custody of the person and that, as that person enters United States soil. So in this particular case, it looks like this individual was brought to, the, um, to New York City, which would put him in the U.S. District Court for the Southern District of New York. Um, that happens to be a district court which has some experience handling organized crime matters uh, at length. I think that was Rudy Giuliani's home stomping grounds. So I think that... Um, uh, it is a very good forum uh, to resolve this issue. Also, in addition to the organized crime background, uh, the Southern District of New York is fairly well-versed in uh, maritime and admiralty matters uh, on the civil side. So any of the U.S. District Court judges who would be assigned this case are probably going to be knowledgeable in the basic uh, basics, uh, of international law, of maritime law, and also of any organized crime uh, issues that might arise. But, but this is not a, a routine matter of, of admiralty law. I mean, it, as we mentioned earlier, the last, uh, the last uh, prosecution for piracy in the United States was, was more than a century ago. Uh, what what kind of experience, what kind of uh, 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 tactics will, will come to bear in, in moving this case forward? I think one of the things that uh, comes up is that, uh, and this is a, a concern I know, uh, 
today, this is a big concern of, uh, of Coast Guard and many of the other uh, maritime protection organizations around the world uh, because there is somewhat of a fine line between piracy and um, terrorism and uh, drug trafficking, for example. Um, in, uh, in, uh, in fact, one of the more serious incidents that happened uh, happened in 1985, and it was the seizure of the vessel Achille Lauro, uh, which was a cruise ship. It was seized by the PLO, and uh, they made a passenger essentially walk the plank, except for he was in a wheelchair, but he went over the side of the ship, killed. And uh, it is when you get into instances of crimes being committed on the high seas by organized groups, which are not countries, uh, I think that uh, uh, you know the basic principles of piracy are still going to apply. In fact, I think that Kelly Loro actually met the defi- definition of piracy. Uh, and, and it also, as it turned out, that demonstrated some of the enforcement problems. The, uh, uh, the terrorists on the ship were ultimately released, put on a plane, and sent to freedom. Um, U.S. fighter jets forced that plane down, uh, and uh, a couple of countries objected to the use of um, U.S. fighter jets in a unilateral display of uh, you know, military authority. So uh, today's Somali pirates are unfortunately not... They're a continuation of a long history of piracy, and, and I'm sure uh, Professor Menefee could probably tell us a lot more about the uh, um, the ongoing piracy, for example, in the Straits of Malacca, which have been going on for decades. Yes, I was going to say I'm delighted to hear you uh, feel that the Achille Lara was piracy. I know I got into uh, a lot of controversy when I, I raised that possibility back in in 85, but uh, it, it all relates to the one of the things on this definition is the difference between uh, private ends, which is what constitutes piracy, and it's uh, some un- unidentified non-private or presumably public ends. So that uh, you would have had the um, the Palestinians arguing that they were, uh, you know, doing what they did uh, for a Palestinian state. The problem was that the ship that they were operating against was not Israeli; it was an Italian flag vessel. And uh, Mr. Klinghoffer, uh, although he was Jewish, was an American citizen. That's correct. Yes, and that and that is one of the difficulties is uh, this uh, somewhat of a vague line between the private ends and the public ends. Sometimes piracy can be used as an instrument of. Um, for lack of a better word, international extortion. Uh, in fact, that I, when you hear today that the government of Somalia has suggested that the best way to combat Somali pirates is to send massive international aid to Somalia, it is uh, um, a conclusion can be drawn that um, this piracy is either being somewhat ignored by the government or is not looked upon as a wholly bad thing from the Somalian government perspective. So there it is very, the definition of piracy always includes this for private uh, aims. But when you take a look across the world, piracy generally flourishes in those areas where geography has restricted the movement of ships as it does in the Gulf of Aden or in the Straits of Malacca or in a few other places. And then you have um, a 
either unstable or non-existent government on the coastal regions nearby, and that's where piracy flourishes. We, you know, we do have a question that came in from one of our listeners, and uh, uh, I, I wonder, uh, Sam, you may be the person to answer this. The, the question came from a, a listener named Nick Romage, we believe it is, from Australia, uh, and and he asked which which countries can actually prosecute these what he refers to as Somali shenanigans. Uh, he was uh, he says I was interested to hear that U.S. frigate was dumping eleven Somalis off in Kenya for prosecution. Uh, what is the state of play for prosecution in other countries if these chaps have been caught? I hear some recently were set free after capture and simply had their weapons confiscated and broken. That's it. So I guess the, the the question is, which, which countries can prosecute, and, and what, what gives the country the right to prosecute in well, these circumstances? Well, uh, the right to prosecute, uh, since this took place in international waters, uh, any country that uh, captures the pirates can prosecute. The problem is that uh, prosecution comes with cost. And uh, I know that uh, when there were uh, several seizures over in the South China Seas, and um, the hijackers of the vessels were, were captured, uh, the countries involved uh, often did not want to prosecute because of the costs involved with the case. Uh, I think one of the uh, pieces of controversy, and, and my colleague might better uh, be able to comment about this, I don't know, but uh, I think there's been a worry. What happens if uh, we get Mr. Musa over here and we prosecute him, and he gets a very good defense team and is not convicted? Uh, is he going to be uh, staying? Is he, you know, is he is he going to be given uh, some sort of status over here, or how is he returned to Somalia? I mean, uh, now, admittedly, I don't find the idea of him being a schoolboy who just happened to, you know, wander offshore 200 miles and and go up the ladder with a with a gun uh, by mistake exactly feasible, but. There's a problem with uh, countries not being willing to step up to the uh, to the plate to take care of us, and I think in extreme exam- uh, cases like uh, the the recent Belgian seizure when they actually returned the pirates, I don't see that that's doing any good. I mean, you know, it's like the story of the guy who was uh, at an archery butt and was shot in the face uh, by a fellow archer, and he walked up to the guy and said, "Next time you do that, I'll break your arrow." Uh, so that we have a situation where uh, not only is uh, the Somali government uh, not in a position to do very much, but uh, a lot of other countries, with uh, a few exceptions, are saying it's somebody else's problem and we're, we're not going to take the heat, we're not going to, uh, to put these people within our court system. Ironically, the Belgians who didn't do, do this did have a case in which they found Greenpeace guilty of piracy. And uh, that's another good point. That Greenpeace is a very interesting uh, discussion. I'm a little surprised the Japanese haven't uh, invoked uh, uh, piracy claims against Greenpeace. But um, you know that's exactly correct. The United States Code for the for piracy, just for piracy, United States Code, Title 18, 1651. Whoever on the high seas commits the crime of piracy as defined by the law of nations and is afterwards brought into or found in the United States shall be imprisoned for life. That's not death. 
That means, and it probably doesn't mean for the rest of that person's natural life either when you get down to it. And certainly any mitigating factors like, gee, I thought I was out on a fishing trip uh, might result in a sentence that is a lot shorter than life. And now you have, if the United States itself wants to pursue people, we will have a group of people um, that some present us some of the same issues that are presented by these uh, um the terrorist detainees at Guantanamo. If you're going to release them, what are you going to do with them? And um, that's clearly an issue. There, uh, uh, anybody who takes custody of the pirates, pursues any form of legal action, the um, it, we don't hang them from the yardarm anymore. And so once you're sort of removed that one, then you're left with at sooner or later you're going to have to turn these people loose or return them or something like that. And that does present some difficulties, especially if um, there's large-scale <laughs> prosecutions in the, in the criminal system. What can be done to protect the ships that are uh, endangered by this piracy? I mean, Japan has announced that it's going to be escorting some of its uh, ships that carry its cargo or other, other ships from other countries that carry Japanese cargo. Uh, and apparently the United States has taken some steps. But what can we expect... Uh, the governments around the world to do to stop piracy? I would hate to say I'd say wring their hands. I mean, um, <laughs> I've heard uh, some suggestions that uh, there might be a convoy system set up, or, you know, certainly we, we've seen navies of several countries uh, going to the region affected. I mean, that's uh, been made uh, possible by uh, the Security Council Resolution 1851, which... Uh, has allowed states to uh, assist Somalia's transitional federal government in uh, taking necessary measures uh, for the purpose of suppressing acts of piracy and armed robbery at sea. Um, one of the problems in this whole thing is that uh, Somalia, as a failed state, has a central government which uh, only controls part of the country. And um, I took a look, and uh, I, I believe it's fair to say, based on based on what the papers say about uh, Mr. Moose's uh, mother's location, that he's from Portland, which has always uh, sort of considered itself an independent area and, in fact, has, in the past, justified um, some of these incursions against ships as, as being protection of their fishery resources. And, uh, yeah, I, uh, I think the convoy system it may be something that has to be considered. There is uh, always a difficulty uh, because a pirate ship um, nowadays does not fly the Jolly Roger. And so the pirate ships, especially in Somalia, look an awful lot like a fishing boat. And no self-respecting Somali fisherman making an honest living as fishing would think uh, that he should go to sea without having weapons aboard his vessel. And so if he can get his hands on some weapons, he's going to make sure that he's armed just to keep from being attacked by other people in the area. That's the problem when you don't have strong coastal state enforcement. And so a couple of cargo nets and a couple of AK-47s and uh, the vessel. In fact, as far as the crew members know, there's very little difference between a fishing boat and a boat that on its way out there decides that this passing uh, freighter might be uh, much more lucrative than the local fishing. And that's one thing that makes it hard to prevent before the actual um, uh, attack happens. 
And so uh, that's uh, that's probably one of the bigger issues faced by the navies in the area. The other one is that uh, um, these low-riding wooden ships are um, relatively difficult to spot by uh, radar. It is better for the uh, the um, military ships have far more lookouts than the merchant ships who have a limited number of crew. Um, there is a U.S. code section which authorizes the President of the United States. I found this this morning, by the way. I was really intrigued <laughs> uh, because I was thinking of issuing uh, uh, marks of uh, letters of mark and reprisal, which were often done in the olden days. And that's actually allowed in the United States Code, uh, Title 33, Section 386, which allows the commissioning of private vessels for the seizure of pi- pirate vessels. And, uh, of course, this was done something in World War II, where they were referred to as Q ships, a ship whose outline and silhouette made it appear to be a freighter, when in fact it was actually a destroyer, and the guns were hidden and replaced. So there's a possible use of either convoys or decoys that, that could be used, but it's, it is very difficult because not every Somali boat in the area, which happens to have weapons on it, is necessarily a pirate ship. It's time for us to take a brief break, but please stay with us and we'll have more of our discussion of the prosecution of piracy just after this. Imagine how much easier managing your practice would be if your practice management software was web-based. Your practice would be available anywhere you have an internet connection, completely secure, backed up continuously, and most importantly, easy to use allowing you to spend your valuable time building your practice instead of managing technology. Start simplifying your practice today with Clio. Sign up for a free, fully functional 30-day trial at www.goclio.com. Use promotional code L2L for a 25% discount. When it comes to protecting your legal practice, how confident are you that your professional liability insurance provides the best possible coverage for the best possible price? At the Herbert H. Landy Insurance Agency, we know that law firms insured with us can answer yes on both counts. Visit our website at www.landy.com for a convenient online application or call us at 800-336-5422 for prompt and personal attention. TopClassActions.com ethically connects attorneys to potential clients. At TopClassActions.com, attorneys can review submissions, locate effective plaintiffs for new lawsuits, or advertise their settlement to add more claimants. With membership in our attorney network, you review complaints submitted by Top Class Actions viewers, and it's free to try. No credit card required for the free membership. Go to TopClassActions.com slash attorney. That's TopClassActions.com slash attorney. Thank you very much for uh, staying with us. We are back now with Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. We'd like to welcome back top piracy law expert, Professor Samuel Menefee and Attorney Joseph McFall from the law firm of Sedgwick, Dieter, Moran, and Arnold, the retired commander in the Coast Guard. Sam, I think right before the break, you were going to uh, add something to some of the comments. Uh, yes, I was going to su- uh, suggest that I think that uh, the fact that this has happened to an American vessel, not that it's the first ship to be pirated uh you know, within uh, memory. I mean, several United States vessels, uh, large and small, have, have suffered problems over the year, but I think this has really brought it home, and I think a lot of the uh, 
Merchant Marine Academies are uh, they they have been training uh, insofar as security issues, but I think they're upping that, and I think that uh, at least some people may be considering uh, a more activist thing. I know there has been a big debate in uh, the uh, the legal community as to uh, whether or not uh, guns should be allowed on board vessels. Um, Basically, the two countries where I've, I've heard positive things about that are Israel and the United States, and most other countries are totally shocked. But uh, you don't have to have uh, a gun which can uh, theoretically get you into trouble in the port if it's found by inspectors. Uh, I mean, if you if you have a flare gun uh, and you happen to aim it in the wrong direction at close range, it can do a fair amount of damage. So I think that uh, just as we saw uh, in this case that the the pirate was was actually wounded by some of the crew um, when they uh, had gotten him away from his weapon. Uh, I think you're going to see a lot more self-help taught and uh, that there's not necessarily going to be a reliance of, oh, don't do anything and everything will work out okay, because when we're talking about ransoms of the uh, the size we're talking about, uh, it may not be every firm that's able to pay that right up front. And, you know, right now there's something like uh, 160 uh, seamen that are still hostage uh, of pirates in the area. You know, I'm not sure how many, if any, are United States, but that is a, that's a, a fairly large number. And, you know, there uh, a great number of vessels, too, that are being held. So, uh, obviously, this is going to, to prompt not only the trial, but I think some also some rethinking of things, uh, not only on a governmental level, but also throughout the industry. As this trial moves forward in New York, what are likely to be the defenses that Mr. Musave's attorneys might raise? I mean, what what can be the defenses to a charge of piracy other than that it didn't occur? Well, I guess his first one will be, like I say, that I think that he will claim uh, something along the line that he was signed on as a crew member, and, and I would certainly argue the youngest and most naive crew member, uh, to simply go out on a fishing trip, and it looked like any other fishing boat to him. You know, there were the car, you know, there were the fishing nets, and of course we had our rifle to protect against sharks and other bad uh, people that might be out there on the water. We certainly know that. It, I didn't know that um, that they all intended to go out and uh, seize this American ship, and, uh, I, and I made the opportunity opportunity at my first chance to get off lifeboat and swim away and abandon uh, uh, these uh, evil pirates to their own means and to the incredible sharpshooting uh, prowess of the Navy SEALs. That would be my initial defense of this guy. Uh, I don't think we know all of the facts yet, but I would say a couple of defenses could be, I'm too young, I'm nuts, or I was simply... uh, taking part in what I thought was an official semi-governmental action to defend my country against aggressors. Now, these these ships are fairly big, and, and Sam, you said that some of them have, are being held. Why is it that, that uh, where they're being held, and how? why can't they be freed? I mean, I can't, it's just hard to imagine that you can take a cargo ship and hold it hostage. I w- well, I mean, it's, uh, you know, uh, Passenger liners have been uh, been held hostage before. I mean, if we think back before the Achille Lara, we have the Santa Maria, which took place in the 1960s. Um, it's certainly not a question that people don't know where things are. I think I think the real problem is the fact that uh, we not only have to worry about the ships, 
we also have to worry about the hostages. And I'm not sure whether the hostage is being kept on board the vessels or whether they're being kept ashore with uh, some of the pirates. I mean, uh, sure, the the easiest way is to just, you know, send a couple of bombers across and uh, and flatten the whole load. But that's not really fair to people in the community who aren't involved. It's not particularly fair to the hostages. And uh, I think that although we'd all love to see action, uh, the easiest place to have action is before the vessel gets close to shore, because when it gets close to shore, uh, a lot more complications arise. The only other thing I would add with the uh, um, vessels themselves is that, uh, first, you do have a lot of crew members that may be exposed if there's some kind of military force used to recover a vessel. And not all of these vessels, without going into too many details, a lot of these vessels, the cargo on the vessels itself is... uh, dangerous. And so a stray bullet uh, can uh, cause uh, uh, chemical or uh, um, fire damage uh, far beyond what would normally be anticipated in a typical reaction. So I think that there's uh, practical limits as to what can be done to recover a vessel. Who who pays these ransoms? Is this paid by insurance companies or are they paid by (laughs) the owner of the the, uh, cargo line? How does that get handled? Insurance. Well, I have the... um, uh, insurance policy for the American Institute Hull Clauses form. And it says the underwriters are contented to bear and take upon themselves these risks. They are of the seas, men of war, fire, lightning, enemies, pirates, rovers, assailing thieves, jettisons, letters of mark and countermark, surprisals, takings at sea. So there are certainly insurance questions. Um, and I think this is typically covered, I don't know if they cover ransoms. The other um, development that's coming up is that there is an, um, a suggestion because of the somewhat fine line between piracy and what would could turn into some form of terrorism by smaller groups, is that uh, the terrorism then may be treated as a form of war, and war is not covered under these policies. You have to find a special war risk policy. So um, there are insurance questions, and whether or not a uh, organized form of piracy, or especially piracy organized, something like Somalia, I think an argument could be made that uh, maybe this should be a war risk rather than a piracy uh, covered under the Hull policy. We're about uh, reaching the end of our time for the program, uh, and we'd like to give each of you an opportunity to. Give us your final thoughts on the topic and also to uh, let our listeners know how they can follow up with you. Uh, one one thing I'd like to ask perhaps that you might just address in your final thoughts is, is, is whether there should be something more done in terms of the, the existing conventions or the existing laws or the existing policy in this area, uh, whether there should be changes in those areas or, uh, that would help prevent this in the future or or make prosecution of these uh, events more effective in the future. But Sam, Anifa, your your final thoughts on this and, and uh, if there are any policy issues that should be addressed. Thank you. Um, I would say probably over 10 years ago, the Maritime Law Association of the United States uh, discussed and um, approved uh, potential revisions to the United States Piracy Code. The last, if, if you accept the um, 
the punishments. The last major substantive revision on the U.S. Code, uh, which was done in a piecemeal fashion, was done in 1847. Obviously, uh, we try Mr. Moose under the laws we have now, but uh, the Maritime Law Association has been pushing for over a decade to try to get Congress interested in uh, updating our piracy laws. Uh, apparently, people just consider the idea of piracy quaint. I don't think they consider that anymore. And I would urge for anybody in the legal profession or law students to start trying to get their congressmen interested in doing something. The Maritime Law Association already has something uh, on record as a basis for discussion that I think would improve things. Uh, if anybody wishes to contact me with any questions, I will respond as time allows. I can be reached at spmenefee, that's M-E-N-E-F-E-E, at msn.com. And I just want to thank you guys for allowing the opportunity for this uh, this critical issue to be aired. Thanks. And Joe McFall, your final thoughts? Um, I would add that there is, and Professor Menefee referred to a number of international um, treaties. Uh, there have been some Security Council resolutions, which are all helpful. I think the legal regime is in place to um, have a good start at solving the problem. You do require uh, international cooperation, which which is not as good as what is actually on paper. And I think that's what he was referring to when he referred to a bit of hand-wringing. So it will require... Uh, a little bit more resolve on the part of uh, individual countries, especially countries that are particularly threatened. Uh, in this area, Somalia, uh, through the Gulf of Aden, leads to um, Elat, one of the ports of Israel, and uh, also through the uh, Suez Canal. So that's an issue that needs to be addressed. I think it is going to take international cooperation. Even early on, the United States responded with a wide range of responses to piracy uh, as early as the Barbary Coast, the United States actually did pay tribute to pirates uh, before sending in the Marines. So it's been a uh, it's a very interesting but a very complicated process uh, uh, to deal successfully with piracy. Uh, and again, I would just say I've really enjoyed the show. Um, I can be contacted at uh, Joseph McFall J O S E P H dot M C F A U L at sdma.com. Well, gentlemen, thank you very much. That about does it for this week's Lawyer to Lawyer. Remember, you can check out all of our Lawyer to Lawyer shows at legaltalknetwork.com. And let me add my thanks to uh, both of you for participating in the first live broadcast of Lawyer to Lawyer after after nearly four years of podcasting. Uh, It was a very interesting show. And Craig, I look forward to talking to you again next week. We will be back again live. Bob, talk to you then. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer with Robert Ambrogi and J. Craig Williams. Every week, a new legal topic that you won't want to miss. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network. Lawyer to Lawyer has been sponsored by Law.com. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.